0: Welcome to Dr. Suzanne Howard's audio play. Thank you for downloading and I pray you are truly blessed. To get more information on Dr. Suzanne Howard's ministry, feel free to visit www.SuzanneMHoward.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. So fantasy, let's talk. When used as a defense mechanism Fantasy refers to retreating into your imagination to avoid stressful situations or to reach your unattainable goals. It is a defense commonly used by children. I had to do so many papers on this one. Whew, this was deep. It's just starting to flood my thoughts right now. But it is also used by adults when they are feeling challenged by their circumstances. Anyone know about fantasy? Anyone can raise their hand there and say, I can identify with fantasy. You know, I I didn't really think about it until I started doing this work. I remember as a young woman, maybe between 18 and 21, I used to always have this inner conversation with myself. I used to say, girl, you could write a book with this imagination. And when I started learning this work, I really started to question myself, do some reflective thinking on, was it really just my imagination or was I self soothing myself through my life by having fantasy, fantasy? I remember, and I had told this to my church, Um, several times in preaching. Um, I remember as a young girl and questioning myself specifically on my memory right now is when I was babysitting for a couple, three doors down, and they would ask me questions. They were always asking me questions about my life. And I never understood that. I probably was 16 or so. And they would ask me questions I couldn't answer. Like, I remember standing there in some sort of like, Frozen position, not knowing how to answer these questions, which tells me, looking back in retrospect, that there probably wasn't much talk around the table about a lot of things going on in our life. I don't consider myself to have a tragic or traumatic childhood, but I can tell you that we were dysfunctional like every other household. I remember going to school and finding out that I was mulatto, I had no idea that's how unaware I could say, maybe I have to speak for the the household that my parents had us. They were raising us like very unaware of life and our surroundings. I remember watching Dr. Martin Luther King, um, give speeches on replay because he died. I believe it was the year before, no, the year after I was born. And then I remember her talking about President Kennedy a lot. I remember sitting down with her. She always had her little TV stand in front of her. And um I remember, hmm, what else do I remember? That's probably it. But I did not know that I was mulatto until I got to school. And people would ask me, What color are you? And I and I again, the deer and headlights. I'm stuck. Like, I don't know how to answer this question amazingly, as it may seem to a lot of people, it still amazes me. I still could not really tell that my mother, she was fair-skinned anyway, but I could not tell that my mother was black, mulatto, and my father was white, pure white, Caucasian, German, blonde hair, blue eyes, couldn't get no whiter. And I never knew there was a difference between them growing up. That's how I know racism is taught. Now, I'm sure as I've gotten older, I would have realized that my mother's family, all shades, all colors. We had the darkest of the darkest, and we had what we termed those red bones. My father's family, straight up Caucasians. But yet when we had these dinners, I didn't realize that we had dinners with people who were different color. This is what I did realize, and I'm going somewhere why I'm sharing this. I did realize that there was a difference in how my mom prepared the house for the different sides of the family that would come. She would pull out the China and the best stuff for my father's family. But for her family, they'd sit in the kitchen just eat out the paper plates and probably even with their fingers sometime. So I always remember there was a difference and didn't understand what the difference was. But as far as being self-aware that I was Uh, uh, up until maybe first or second or third grade, I had no idea that we were different colors in the house. No idea. So when I'm babysitting a few doors down, these people would ask me questions and I would sit there like, I don't know the answers to anything they were asking me. And, And looking back at this point, I think something about our life or our family household dynamic really caught their attention because they always had questions for me. And I remember whenever they were getting ready to go out and they're giving me instructions, they're telling me if the kids ate or not and not to give them any sugar because they were raising their kids on zero sugar. And uh, I have to make a confession. I brought my Captain Crunch over there every night and me and them kids tore that Captain Crunch up, but I never told them. Oh, stories of the babysitter. So, and I remember after a while, I would begin to tell them lies. I would tell them lies and I would, in my head, while I'm lying to them, I would say, why are you lying? But I remember lying because I didn't have any answers for them and nothing came up in my mind to say, I don't have answers to what you're asking me. I was so tired of them always having me in this shocked or stunned feeling that as soon as I walked out my door to walk three doors down the house, I would begin to like make up these stories and these fantasies. And I remember playing in my backyard, having these fantasies, you know, we can call them childhood fantasies, right? We talk about children having such a great imagination. Children have imaginary friends. Anybody had any imaginary friends? What do you remember about your imaginary friends? I had imaginary friends. Um, I remember I always liked playing a impoverished person. I don't know what that was to this day, um, but something about that. I always played somebody who was impoverished and and um, always like just kind of like behind the scenes. It, it was really weird, just dealing with fantasies. So I remember telling these lies and making up these stories. And these lies they grew and grew and grew, and they became greater and greater and greater to the point that I started really like carrying these fantasy stories out into other conversations with other people and you know, this, this fantasy defense mechanism starts with children and I can see why I can see why, but the whole thing of what I'm sharing with you is really not the point that I'm giving it to you. I'm sharing it with you to talk about lies, imaginations, fantasies, how they kind of blend. But also for me, it's like, why was I so unaware of what was going on in our household? It just seems like kids nowadays are like all in the business and we knew nothing. They kept us out of everything. We didn't, I didn't even know if we didn't have money. You know, when my mom would come home with that big old bag from the tag sale, I, (laughs) we were waiting in the backyard, like great pickings. We had no idea that we were getting secondhand stuff. And it's like nowadays these kids are just so aware of everything, but I was so unaware of so many things. So I also learned, and I'll drop this just briefly. I won't go on this part long because this is really, really tough. But I also learned that children who have been in trauma, and I mean deep trauma, um, let's just say this and then we can move on, like sexual abuse for a good part of their younger life, they disassociate and they go into fantasy and they disassociate. So it's like their body is being used, but their spirit has translated out into the celestials and they are traveling mentally to other places and having other thoughts. And it was explained to us, that's why a lot of the young women over the last few years that have been recovered after being kidnapped and trafficked for 10, 15 years, one girl, would she have two or three kids by the guy who kidnapped her and started a whole life with her? She had two kids in the time that she was kidnapped from her home. They live in fantasy, and that's what keeps them alive. So fantasy, I assume since the fall, has very good um, purpose, but it can really get you into a lot of trouble if through childhood to adolescence to adulthood, you are not able to switch from that fantasy, where you still have these stories and these lies that you're telling yourself That that eventually get feet on them and you start telling them to other people. And then when you're around people long enough, they're adding up. The stories don't add up. The stories do not add up. So there's a line with this fantasy from going from adolescence to adulthood that goes back to our whole approach with defense mechanisms of hitting it head on. Get out of these fantasies, imaginations, and lies. Get out of them. It is not healthy. It is a tangled web. And sadly enough, people will not feel the assurance enough to tell you that I know you're lying. Your stories make no sense. I've been around you for years and the story makes no sense. Fantasy. And it's usually for children, but it does often grow in adults. Here's an example of one straight from my book. For example, someone who has been working long hours, month after month, and feeling burned out might use fantasy to think about the vacation they will take when they have the opportunity. They might imagine what they do on the vacation and literally feel the feeling of how it feels to be near the water With their feet in the sand, that's how far imagination, fantasy can actually take you. Um, It it is possible to have romantic fantasies. Not all affairs are affairs of the sexual nature. There are people on the workplace, in the church, um, no place is exempt from it that actually have. Affairs of the heart. And they're either dreaming about uh, sex with the person or they're fantasizing about sex with the person. And why that is dangerous, which is also why masturbation is dangerous, because the fantasy is the problem. Because the Bible tells us, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Most fantasies. How fair do I want to be in this statement? And and everything I'm speaking about is researched. Uh, Most fantasies are kept inside as a fantasy, but there is a percentage of fantasies that do come out and what's been in your heart, you end up doing the affairs of the heart, having an affair with someone else. When you are in a relationship, um, lying, that's another affair of the heart. It's a fantasy, um, you know, and in, in a lot of ways, it has been determined by researchers that the, the fantasy, the affairs of the heart are more dangerous than the literal affairs of a sexual nature. Because the imagination is so big and so explosive, someone can be in a, a fear of the heart through their imagination, through fantasy for 20 and 30 years. And maybe a small portion of them end up having an affair, either with the person they fantasized about or living that fantasy out with someone else. And the affair could last a year, five years, but the fantasy in the mind could last 20 or 30 years. And with the imagination in the mind, it's almost like the engaging of intimacy is as real as it can be in real time. That's where we get into dangers. And that's why the Bible again tells us if we just understood the Bible. We wouldn't have so many reasons to talk about it. We talk about so much what we don't understand. The Bible tells us that if a man looks upon a woman as to lust on her, he has already committed adultery in his heart. What do you mean he's already committed adultery? All he did was look, we all look, but to look is to lust. So this is where the Bible turns Psychological, it turns scientific because anyone knows in science and psychology that to look at something, you're, you're registering it all, your eyes is telling your brain something. Your brain is telling your heart something and eventually the thought, the feeling, something's going to react in your body either your blood pressure is going to jump when you see them, or you may have other adult like situations going on in your physical body and you've touched nothing. You've said nothing. You rode the elevator with them. You were in an aisle with them at CVS, but that's how powerful it is. Pornography. For example, I did extensive classes and trainings and certifications and recertifications on addictions and to the brain. To the brain, your brain does not distinguish between you lusting at someone and you actually having sex with them. Your organ will know the difference, but your brain, it registers as lust, period, either way. Now listen to this. You can do heroin or you can look at pornography and your brain registers it as the same thing. Your brain doesn't say, oh, no, don't call them a drug addict. They're just looking at porn. Oh, no, don't accuse them of being a porn addict. They're just using heroin. The brain doesn't care what you're using. It's the effect that you have on the brain. And it comes from your senses, your eyes, your ears, your touch, your smell, your feel. It comes through your senses. And that's why he warns us. It's, it's not a just, it's, it's, it's barely a religious book. People make it into a religious book for power and control. No difference than the crazy movie, The Book of Eli. That explained what man did with this powerful, life-giving word that was left on paper for us. He explains psychologically why not to do this. He explains medically why we should eat a certain way. He explains scientifically how the sun and the moon and the stars are guides along the way, but we don't read into our horoscopes and, and and the stars and all that. We trust the word of God for our living life. These things take us into fantasy. We read the horoscopes because we're looking for fantasy. We have affairs of the heart because we're maybe we don't want to... Cross boundaries. Maybe we're loyal to some degree, but we're just in a very bad place. Maybe our moral compass, maybe our relationship with God that we would not actually have an affair, but we're actually having the affair in our heart. To your system, it's, it's no difference, And we have to be very careful with playing around with fantasy. That's why we have to be very careful with the television shows we watch, not to be deep and religious and cultic and, oh, you're just so deep. No, it's not a matter of being deep. These are offering us fantasies, whether you're watching Cookie from whatever that show was or Fantasy Island, or if you're watching Power, no matter what it is that you're watching, they are offering us a fantasy. Have you ever thought about why? sports, um, athletes in the sports world, um, actors, actresses, why they make so much money and school teachers don't because they are offering us entertainment. And it has been proven time and time again, that the world humanity will pay a huge amount of money for fantasy. They will pay a huge amount of money for entertainment. Entertain me. I'm not going to pay a lot for you to teach me. I'm not going to pay a lot for you to change my way way in a positive, my life in a positive way. But I'll pay for the fantasy. That's why false prophets are just never being X'd and cut out of, of the kingdom. Because we like the fantasy. The fantasy keeps us going. It's little feedings. Each TV show is more dopamine. The apps on our phones, more dopamine. Just shoot me up a little bit more. These are fears of the heart. Just shoot me up just a little bit more. Going from dopamine boost from dopamine boost because we're not happy with our life. And why aren't we happy with our life? There's many reasons why. So before you attack someone who's using heroin but you watch porn, I would do my research. Find out to your brain, you might be a drug addict and a porn addict. That's why stay out of judgment, find ways to help people as best you can. And it doesn't matter. The little, the little, littlest amount of help that you can do with someone is so much better than a great or small judgment that you can do to someone. Find ways to help people. The information is endless to become a people helper but fantasy gets us in a lot of trouble. Oftentimes we use fantasy when we are hiding from abuse, especially starting in childhood and adolescence as adults, perhaps let's just deal with marriage. If you're not sexually satisfied in your marriage or you're not emotionally satisfied in your marriage, you will use fantasy. You will either go as far as these porn sites, these, um, Dating apps, I'm not going to name all these things that we know that are out there, or if you don't know that are out there, good. Um, But we use fantasy to fulfill these voids. Oftentimes, if we're not satisfied in our lives, we will begin to dream dreams about what it is our soul desires. And it may be something we don't even realize we want it or we desire it, or You're dreaming about being intimate with someone and you're like, oh, my God, I got to pray with them on Sunday. Oh, my God, I sit with them on Sunday. Oh, my God, we're working this project together. And usually it's some level or some area of dissatisfaction in your life that you have that is causing you to dream of this person. Why your soul chose that person? Well, there's many reasons Um, you could feel safe with them. They make you laugh. They make you smile. It could be a physical, um, uh, sexual attraction to the person. Uh, it could be their anointing and you're attracted to their anointing. So when you're feeling alone in your marriage, you dream about this anointed person and you think in your mind, are they supposed to be my husband? Am I supposed to be with them? And it's fantasy. And our soul does that to give us a level of satisfaction to meet our needs that we're not getting in our lives or in our marriages. Am I talking to anybody out here tonight? Let me take a look at the screen. Yeah. Yep. We will do it and our body will do it automatically. Y'all heard of those sexual release dreams. I know some of y'all have your kids here, so I don't want to say names. I'll let y'all do the explaining to them, but there are dreams that can happen automatically in your sleep where you have a release. It's because there's some dissatisfaction somewhere in your life, whether it's normal or abnormal is not what we're teaching on tonight, but just know that it can't happen. And the reason that it happens because there's some level of dissatisfaction in your life and your soul has bared this thing. And it is now talking to your body, even if you're asleep, it is now talking to your body and finding a way to bring this happiness to you, this peace to you, or this release to you. Very, 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 very heavy. So how fantasy works is fantasy is a self-protective coping mechanism often used by victims of abuse, a way of mentally or emotionally leaving the situation. We would term it spacing out to enter a fantasy world or particular scenario. This often helps to soften, to ease us um, into relieving this present danger that we're in. It has an addictive and obsessive characteristic side to it. That's why you cannot be adults living in fantasy. And it is, it is a real thing. And it's in the church. I've dealt with women in particular that live in this fantasy and they're in the church and people will talk about them, but no one will confront them. You're in a fantasy. Somebody write fantasy. It has an addictive and obsessive characteristic and it's difficult for a person to let go of. So don't laugh at them and don't laugh it off with them. It is real. It is as addictive as any other thing you can get addictive to. And it is also self-sabotaging. If you notice, most of these defense mechanisms are self-sabotaging. So what, all right, what do you do when you are in a situation with someone or listening to someone, wherever you would be? And you find it ever so hard to remember what they said. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you just like spaced out? I use that word on purpose, right? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you just spaced out of the conversation? You find it hard to remember what did they say? And while you're shaking your head or you're giving them Um, you're, you're panicking because you're waiting for them to pause and maybe say what you think, or you hope that they're a talker and they are just going to keep going and they don't really care whether you are responding back or not. Has anyone ever been in that situation where you were in a conversation with someone, but you found yourself drifting off thinking about other things and maybe not even consciously aware of what it is you were drifting off to, or what it is that you were thinking about. Has anyone done that? I see a lot of yeses on the screen. Yeah, you were in a fantasy at that moment. And not all fantasies are conscious. Not all of them are something that you can pull to the front of your mind to remember. Yeah, I don't like it when it happens either. Sometimes I I can catch the fantasy. Sometimes it's like, I was like out there. Maybe I was just in space, just floating around in peace, right? So some of the effects, it can become a lifestyle pattern in your life. It can cause isolation, extreme isolation, and it will cause relationships to suffer. And it can and will affect intimacy if you don't get some help with this. And usually if you have been in this fantasy Mechanism for a while. Telling your spouse that they need to meet your needs isn't gonna help anymore. You've been in it so long that when they meet that need, there's been so many other needs and that fantasy that has been met that your spouse will probably take a hundred years to catch up. You need therapy. You need to go talk about these fantasies, and you should probably go alone in the beginning. Incorporate the spouse afterwards. If it's a marriage situation, because they're not gonna understand and they are emotionally attached to you and jealousy is going to come up and they're gonna get territorial, they're gonna get suspicious, they're gonna get paranoid and you're gonna have bigger problems than that fantasy. So it also can lead to unrealistic, imaginary thinking and expectations, like I just explained. Most of all, my concern as a mental health coach It inhibits growth and change in your life. Mental health coaching is all about growth and change life coaching period. And all of those sex S E C T S that falls under the umbrella of life coaching is all about growth and change. Tony Roberts, everything's growth and change. Look at some of the best out there. And this is where it becomes a problem and you have to you should get involved with either a mental health coach or a therapist because it is inhibiting your growth and it's inhibiting any change in your life. It has led you to unrealistic imaginations to the point you are just dreaming about everybody and everything. It has started to isolate you. It has caused some friction in your relationships and now it has caused suffering in your intimacy. This can become a lifestyle stick. It can become a pattern in your life. Overcoming fantasy is a process. It takes time and it takes effort. Someone put up time and effort. It takes time and it takes effort. Some of the steps that would <laughs> will be recommended to you was first recognize that you are in fantasy. Can anybody recognize that they are in fantasy? and to how severe number two although it may be comforting at the time like all of these other defense mechanisms think about the negative impact that you are aware that it's having or that you may not even be aware of that it's happening that's the most dangerous portion when things are going on unaware and number three discuss the fantasies and obsessions with a trusting person. Find someone you trust and discuss these fantasies with them. They need to be mature. If you're not going to go to someone who has been trained, a recovery coach, a mental health coach, a life coach, a therapist, find someone that you can really, really trust because this stuff can cause a lot of problems. Trusting people with these fantasies can also sometimes pull them into the fantasy world with you because a lot of people in this lifetime, in this earth are miserable and they would jump onto your fantasy at any cost. Accountability is the key thing about what is behind the fantasies. Is it about what is lacking in your life? Think about that. Is your fantasies about what is lacking in your life? Recognize that you're in fantasy. There we go. Ebony's getting it up here. I don't know where my other two coaches at. Recognize the fantasy. Think about the negative impact of the fantasy and discuss the fantasies with a trusted person or an addiction recovery coach, 12 step coach, all of those, they can help you with that. They're trained to some degree in that. And if they notice that it's, it's, this thing is big and deep and it has roots. They're going to tell you to see a therapist. We're all trained to refer people to therapy. No one as a life coach or an addiction recovery coach Um, even a pastor, no one should try to ever stop you from therapy because we want to be the one to heal you or deliver you because our business is about people. And it's not about who comes to me and who goes to them. It's about how best can this individual be served for growth and change? How best can this individual be served to live their best life now? And maybe I can be the beginning portion and refer them on to prepare them for therapy. A lot of people don't, are just not comfortable with going to therapy. They find dealing with the coach first kind of segues them into that. Some people have been in therapy so long. Therapists are calling me and saying, look, they've been here for so long. They've kind of plateaued out at this place. And I think some accountability and some hope that can be interjected that comes with mental health coaching would help take the therapy on to another level with them. But you need to get out of that cycle. It's going to ruin a lot before you know it. Good. We're doing good for time. Y'all are doing good tonight. 91 of us online. I feel like I'm on a radio station for some reason tonight. Bless the Lord. The next defense mechanism, number 16, suppression. We talked about it to some degree with regression. But we're going to talk just on suppression for a moment. Suppression is the conscious blocking of unpleasant thoughts, impulses, or memories. A person who is suppressing is deliberately trying not to think about a disturbing thought or impulse. This is usually done to avoid feelings of anxiety and guilt. I don't know if we said guilt yet with the other defense mechanisms, but now we can add guilt to it. Anxiety. Fear, shame, guilt, unlike repression, suppression does not block thoughts indefinitely. You see the difference there? So when you use regression as a defense mechanism, you really can bury this thing way down deep. But when your defense mechanism is suppression, it doesn't block it forever. I'll give you an example. These thoughts are brought back to awareness when there is an opportunity to cope with them more effectively. So you're conscious here. You're actually doing the work to support this defense mechanism. For example, someone who has lied to a friend might feel guilt for doing so. They might suppress the feeling of guilt to get through their work day. Oh, I don't care what she thinks of me. She can accuse me if she wants to, because that's not what I was doing. God knows my heart. No, you know what you did. So you suppress that for a little while to get through your day, to get through your week, to get through the event, the family reunion, you know, things like that. But at some point um, you decide to talk with that friend as soon as possible would be best because you've come to some realization that, yeah, I was suppressing that thing. I, I was wrong. I was wrong. It's not so hard. Put on the screen. I was wrong. See if you melt. See if you, if you cave in, see if you uh, lose the power in your house, just see, it's going to be okay. I was wrong. I was wrong. doesn't mean your life is wrong. It doesn't mean you are a wrong person. It doesn't mean you are always wrong. It doesn't even mean you are to blame. I was wrong. Sweet, simple words. Practice that and practice. No. Practice. No. I was wrong and I'm not sorry, but I apologize. Those are your three um, mindset changes that you're going to start making through your through your mouth. So um, I skipped it here. <laughs> okay, no, I'm good. Um, so suppression is effective in letting the person function through their workday, but it does not prevent them from dealing with the consequences of having lied or having done someone wrong. How many of y'all can, can think of times where you've had to suppress things so you can actually see a good side of suppression. You ever got some horrible news while you're at work and you know that you cannot leave work. So you learn how to suppress and we'll say, girl, the Holy spirit got me through work today. Yeah, absolutely. But the Holy spirit does work in your psychological system. The Holy spirit works through your immune system. So when he heals, he has to heal your immune system. He can't just heal you in the spirit realm. He has Healing has to hit your neurological system, your immune system, your physical body, your psychological being. Deliverance cannot just be a a laying on of hands and cast the demons away. There has to be a psychological intervention because if we're going to talk about the spiritual world, the spiritual world has made character changes, personality changes in us. By the molestation, it causes trauma. Trauma causes changes in your body. So in order for God to heal, deliver, and set free all of that, he's literally doing stuff. And that's why x-rays can be um, changed. You can see something broke. God does a creative miracle, causes a limb to come back. It's going to show on an x-ray. It's not going to be where they can't see it. God is going to work through the same law of body, of psychology, of science, of medicine that he has put in this earth doesn't bypass it. He works right through it. That's why he's the great physician. He's the great scientist. He's the great psychologist, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And the last one we'll hit for tonight is sublimination. It is channeling unacceptable thoughts or impulses into more socially acceptable behaviors by redirecting the energy away from the unacceptable behavior, and towards more healthy behavior. The person avoids causing more problems. Sublimination can be an effective way to manage aggressive or sexual impulses. Mm -hmm. It can be an effective way to manage aggressive or sexual impulses. If you need some help in those areas, look it up. Do a little research on it. Find out who treats it. Go see someone. We actually have time. I'm going to do one more because I want to get through this. Compensation. Compensation. Compensation is making up for perceived weaknesses in one area by putting more effort and focus into other aspects of your life. Compensation. It is making up for perceived weaknesses in one area by putting more effort and focus into the aspects (coughs) of your life. Excuse me. It is realistic to acknowledge that you cannot excel at everything. And to focus on the areas where you might excel. This defense can help maintain self-confidence when faced with weaknesses. Compensation is a big one. I'm I'm not going to take the time to go through it because then I'll be spoiling y'all. But compensation is a big one. And the reason why I say it's a big one, because we do it in so many ways of our life and we're not even aware of it. Trying to see which one is the small one. There we go. We're not even aware of the ways that we compensate. Let me give you the example here and then see if the Holy Spirit leads me to share any more. For example, a person who shows more talent at golf than tennis Might choose to spend much more of their time playing golf. Makes sense. I literally saw this worked out while I was at the country club one day. People were playing tennis, people were playing golf, and I began to look, and I was like, ah. So when they lose a game of tennis, they can reassure themselves that they're better at golf, so it's not that big of a deal. They are accepting that they don't excel at both sports, but that they are competent in at least one compensation. This focus on their relative strengths maintains a healthy sense of confidence in their overall athletic ability. Now, compensation goes way deeper than that. Oftentimes it has been noted that, thank you, Holy Spirit. I knew he wouldn't let us down. Holy Spirit Um, thank you. Oftentimes when you study religion, um, in higher echelon societies and educational institutions, you will find out that the more educated and the more wealthy someone is, the less they feel they need God. So, it has often been a conversation that has circulated those social circles that churches thrive better in poorer communities because the poorer communities compensate religion and their faith because they don't have the education or the wealth so they compensate and 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 it's kind of like it hurts. You know, I had to sit in those social circles for a while until the apostle sat in the courts of heaven with God and was able to get the apologia. How do I apologia this conversation with these people? Because they they made it as though God is a health, healthy and necessary faith to believe in, because there's times throughout your life when you're going to need that faith to lean into meaning faith is necessary to explain the things that we have not been able to explain in our lifetimes. Why does bad things happen to good people? So the people who cannot research it and study it, they all believe, scientists, Yale grads, they all, there's been a conversation. I won't say they all agree. That would be incorrect. But there's been conversations that, You need a faith when you can't explain things, but the educated can usually explain things. The scientists can explain things that Christianity cannot explain. There's other religions out there that will have answers in their book that they do not leave to the miracle side of God, that they will not lead to the um, Holy Spirit portion of God that makes our faith supernatural. They don't buy into that. They believe that's kind of a poor man's way of compensating his lack of education and wealth so he can feel better about his life. Have you ever heard this before? It's amazing. And I just thank God that I am a teacher in the kingdom of God and the mantle of the apostle that is that is upon my life these circles right here, he always sits me right smack in a dab in the middle of them. And I, I know how to go with that flow and I know how to sit there and I'm gathering data and information the whole time. And then I go to my desk and I sit in the heavenlies with father and I ask him, what do we say about this? What do we do about this? Teach me. And I go back and I have conversations with them and they listen. They listen because they love conversation and they love a good apologia. So compensation can go that way. There's been a lot of um, conversations around, um, oh, this was a horrible one, but this is another one that I've heard that most of the time, well, let me bring it back home this way. It has also been a conversation in certain um, realms of influence that good looking people don't go to church. The church is for the broken And what did the Bible say um, about Leah that um, she wasn't too nice to look at? She had soft eyes or something like that. The Bible referred to her as there's been a conversation in some social circles that people who are, are not good looking tend to go to church. And when they meet a good looking person, which is not our church in 2023, I can tell you that much. Right. We turn that thing around. Good looking people in church all the time. Holy has become the new sexy. Thank you, Jesus. But people will say, oh, um, when I was saved, when I was like 25 years old, they're like, why are you saved? I remember three guys were were trying to talk to me. I think I was in Burlington Coal Factory in Manchester. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, did you have some traumatic experience in your life? I'm like, no, I wouldn't say that. that led me to church. No. And he was like, oh, you're too good looking to go to church. I was like, what? Like, this is the mindset of some people that people who are not too kind on the eyes, quote unquote, that's not my saying, will go to God and go to church to compensate for not having that look. And it's been another conversation as well. So you can understand how psychologically deep this can get, where it hits social circles, this compensation, where um, people who, again, are not too, kind on the eyes of other people. It's the best way I can say it. Y'all can feed me if you know better language. tender eye, Thank you, Ronnie Bonner. tender eye That for people who are not too tender-eyed on the eyes of other people will tend to get education. And they compensate in intelligence for what they don't have in looks. You see the classism, the racism, discrimination, segregation, the conversations that go on. Sometimes... You may desire to be around in some of these social circles and when you get there, you're like, oh my God, these people are screwed up just like we're screwed up at our class. (laughs) This is what they think and they do. And they have classes and lectures around them, they teach around them and they do research research and statistics and they find out people follow God because um, education isn't there, wealth isn't there. And that's why it's very important to learn, to understand how to evangelize people who don't need a savior, right? We all need a savior, but in the form of a human's need, according to their needs, how do you evangelize the wealthy? How do you evangelize the healthy? How do you evangelize people who don't have a problem that you can say, Jesus can fix that problem. They're not addicted. They're not broke. They're not going through a divorce. Life is sweet and their joy is complete. Now they need to be saved. How do we witness? How do we reach those who don't have a need? Because again, let's take it back to the beginning of this conversation with compensation because people who need a faith only need a faith because they're lacking education or they're lacking wealth. So if that's their mindset, how does the church restructure to evangelize that group of people. Yeah, that's what we are tonight. Let's see if I can hit assertiveness. Um, Yeah, I think I can hit it. Let's hit it. Assertiveness. Assertiveness is communicating in a direct, clear, respectful way. It is stating thoughts, feelings, or needs in a way that is firm, but not aggressive. It is more direct than passive communication because opinions or needs are stated clearly. However, the words used are not mean spirited or intended as hurtful. It's a highly desirable communication skill. I talked about this, I believe, on Tuesday night at the live. So detox that we did assertiveness. There's a difference between an assertive individual and an aggressive individual. And assertiveness is you want to be assertive. You want to, you want to be bold, but not aggressive, not rude, not disrespectful. You want to be able to state your thoughts, your feelings, your needs in a firm way, but not aggressive. And you know, when you're aggressive, you know it. And it is more direct than the passive communication. Because opinions or needs are stated clearly. This is why some of y'all in your conversations with me, you have heard me say, no, nope, I guess so, ma'am. Mm-mm. Yes or no. We're going to really stay in the black or white for a while. We're not going to, I'm not going to allow you to dibble dabble in that medium gray area because you've been there too long. So there's a time and a place when you can be there, but because you spent the majority of your life in that gray area, I don't know. I don't care. I'm not sure. Maybe I guess so. It is how it is. All those statements in my next. I am, I have a mentoring group. Y'all might want to get involved in with the next quarter. You'll see it on my Facebook page. I don't post it on YouTube. It's private. Only the people that get to watch the, the video of the meeting are those that were in the meeting and, I have a teaching coming up for I am intentional mentoring um, because I'm not mentoring by mistake. I'm doing it on purpose with intent that there is words that you should not use. If you're going to be doing lives, I'm going to show you some list of words you shouldn't be used in general conversations, in meetings, in resumes in cover letters in your life. There are words that you should not use. And assertiveness is that area of effective communication that teaches you these are the words that you use, these are your aggressive words, and these are your passive words. So communication styles exist on a continuum, ranging from passive to aggressive, with assertiveness falling in between. People who are passive and communicate passively tend to be good listeners but rarely speak up for themselves or their own needs in their relationships. Does anyone fall into that place? Do you tend to be of more of a passive listener? A passive listener. It's one who communicates passively. They tend to be good listeners, but rarely speak up for themselves or their own needs in their relationships. If you are a passive listener, I want you to go ahead and put passive on the screen. People who are aggressive and communicate aggressively tend to be good leaders, but often at the expense of being able to listen empathetically to others and their ideas and their needs doesn't exist. Are you Does this sound more of a connection for you? Do you relate more to this aggressive communicator? Do not be ashamed. This is your first step out of denial. Remember that was the first defense mechanism. Let's get out of denial. I communicate aggressively and I'm going to sign up for some weeks of coaching because I want to learn how to be a better communicator, a better speaker. I want to understand the power of self-awareness when it comes to how people perceive me. People are allowed to perceive you because they don't have an awareness of you. And when someone doesn't have an awareness of you, that should have one by now is saying that you haven't made yourself known to them very well. People who are aggressive and communicate aggressively tend to be good leaders, but often at the expense of not being able to listen empathetically to others. Usually they can't even listen at all. And their ideas and needs, people who are assertive, strike a balance where they speak up for themselves, express their opinions or needs in a respectful yet firm way. They're not going to waver. You're not going to talk them out of it. And they're not going to argue about it. There's a boundary line. And when they feel you're not hearing them or respecting their opinions or their needs, they'll say, we either change the conversation or this session is over. This meeting is over. This lunch is over. This conversation is over, whatever we doing, it is over. Cause you are not going to change my mind and you're not going to cause me to get upset or triggered because I'm working on my defense meca- mechanisms. So you're not going to trigger me to act out here because I'm working on being an effective communicator and I want to effectively communicate assertively. And that means that I have to strike a balance and being able to speak up for myself, express my opinions. My needs, know what I want, be able to say no when I need to, and yes when it requires that. But I want to be able to do it in a respectful yet firm manner and listen when I'm being spoken to. Who's falls in that area? I don't see y'all putting it up on the screen. I didn't see my passives, I didn't see my aggressives, and I didn't see my assertives. Come on now, y'all. We finishing class tonight. Assertiveness is one of the most desired communication skills and helpful defense mechanisms. Come on. You haven't heard me say that at all. I'll say it again in closing. Assertiveness is one of the most desired communication skills and helpful defense mechanisms. Most people want to learn and would benefit from in doing so. You'll get through that interview and you will keep that job. For example, a person who declines to do a favor for a friend might be assertive by saying that they cannot help with that request or they they do value that you came to them. They don't take it lightly on the friendship and they would like to be able to help you in the future, but right now I'm just not available. It is not necessary to give any reasons or to make any excuses. How about that one? Have y'all passed that one? I know that's an area for me right there. I'm still working on shutting myself off with my no. I can say no, but I often wanna go and explain. And it's hard when I say no and the listener is sitting there waiting. Well, you're gonna tell me why, right? No, I'm not gonna tell you why, it's no. How many of y'all got that? How many of y'all can say no without giving a reason or an excuse? See, I'm not gonna give an excuse. You're not going to help me. That's like making me lie. I can't stand when people lie to me. You're a coward. Stand in it. And if you can't stand in it, then that tells you stop lying. You don't like it. Your body doesn't even agree with it. Your stress levels rises. Cortisol rises. Lying works against the, the purpose and the intent and the will of how God made our physical bodies. Psychologically. So how many can say no without giving any reasons? That's tough. Mm-hmm. All right. Good comments up here. I see you, Daniel Wooder. I see you, Dawson Adult Daycare Services. All mm-hmm. All right, Pam. Good for you. I'm going to get on that road with you sometime. I'm working on that too, Tracy Bailey. Me too. Destiny says, nope. I have to learn to stop it. No, come on, Nanita. I'm touching and agreeing with you tonight. Some of y'all are halfway there. You said it depends on the person. It should not depend on the person, y'all. No is no. I love you. I love you. You may have to sing to him to get yourself. (laughs) I pray the Holy Spirit, bring that up to your remembrance. When you say no, because you go, I love you. I love you. Oh my God. I hear this woman in my head sing to them. I'm working on myself and I am not going to be keep giving y'all reasons. You never give me a reason when you say no. I don't even demand a reason when you say no. I'm like, okay, thank you. Let me call somebody else real quick. Thank you. Cause I know that if I asked you, you have already proven in my life that you would do it. Cause otherwise Suzanne M Howard wouldn't ask you for anything. If you didn't prove to me in my life, that you would do something for me in the first place. So when you tell me no, I accept it because I know who I'm going to, who I'm leaning on and I'm okay, girl. Okay, man, thank you so much. Let me call somebody else real quick. Saying no without explanation. All right. So tomorrow we're going to hit humor and self-serving bias. And like I said, by Saturday, we're going to start our new work. So we got some more work to do. What's your soul work. You're going to continue to practice saying no, no, Without giving any definition, reason or excuse, you're going to work on not saying I'm sorry, but I apologize. We need to get some T-shirts made with that on there. And there was one more thing, but you'll hear it in the replay. All right. I've got to go. My time is well spent. Yes, Ronnie. Sing it. I love y'all. I, I really, truly hope the best for y'all. I'm offering everything I can on a silver platter. Come and meet me for the rest. OK, it's here. And let's build a relationship throughout the rest of this year where we can continue to build your personal and your spiritual development up to par where you just will be like, oh, I'm prospering and in good health. Even while my soul prospers. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So let's make our declaration clear. Ready? Let's go. I wish above all things that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers prospers. God bless you and good night. Thank you. Let it Let it out. Let it out. Let it out. Let- Dr. Suzanne Howard is happy to have shared this time with you. To get more information on solutions and personal development, coaching, and counseling of the soul, go to www.suzannemhoward.com. You can also find her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Periscope. Thank you for tuning in with us.